Hey everybody, this is Rave Telsh, and this is episode 31 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone is doing well out there this week. I'm in a bit of a confused state. I feel like I had a topic that I wanted to address in this week's opening, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it is. So we'll keep the opening short this week and just get straight to last week's Friday Inquiry. Last week, we talked about The Graduate, and I admitted that I had not seen The Graduate prior to it being brought to the show. So that inspired the Friday Inquiry question, what's your classic have not seen this movie? And got a lot of responses, both on Twitter and on Facebook. On Twitter, where the show is at Have Not Seen This, James Rodriguez chimed in with, I haven't seen The Sound of Music. Chris Talent said, The Graduate. <laughs> Thomas Mariani said, The Deer Hunter. Intimidating length and subject have put it on the back burner for a while. And then over on Facebook, where the show is at Have Not Seen This Podcast, Chris Eklund said, One of my big ones is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Former guest Laura Uber said, Citizen Kane. Chris Talent decided to chime in there as well and said, up until recently, the original Star Wars. And Luis Ramirez said, too many to list, but the one that comes quick to mind is A Clockwork Orange. I always feel like I have to be in a right state of mind to watch that film, but it never happens. Uh, yeah, you kind of do have to be in the right state of mind for just about any Kubrick movie, and A Clockwork Orange is no different from that. But if you do finally watch it, then, you know, you have an episode of this podcast that you can go back and listen to where we discussed that in depth. Looking at some of the other answers there, I have to admit, I haven't seen The Sound of Music either, and several comments that have been made recently keep me from having much interest in seeing it. In fact, one of the podcasts I listened to said that it was kind of like a, a worse version of Mary Poppins, specifically because, you know, Julie Andrews is in both of those movies, and they just felt like the same story was told better in Mary Poppins. I don't know if that's true or not, because again, I haven't seen it, but I just can't seem to get the drive. I know all the music from it, but I haven't seen it obviously took care of The Graduate. I haven't seen The Deer Hunter either, and I don't know why. It, Thomas may have hit on the right ideas there about being an intimidating length, and just, I don't know. I, it's not one that I have watched. And again, another podcast that I listened to has covered that in depth, and that didn't really inspire me to want to go see the movie any sooner, like a lot of other podcasts do. Like, there's a lot of podcasts I listen to that when they talk about a movie, I want to put that movie on. And Deer Hunter and Sound of Music just haven't been there. But my big one, my super big classic have not seen this movie is the one that Laura brought up, which is Citizen Kane. And I, I feel almost like a fraud having passed myself off in the past as a film critic and doing a film podcast and saying that I'm a film lover and not having seen that movie. And yet I still have yet to sit down and watch it. And that one I have heard other podcasts cover in depth, and it has made me want to watch it, and yet I still just haven't pulled the trigger on it, and I don't know why. It's one I need to fix. Probably won't happen until somebody decides to bring it on the show, but we'll see. It's I, I, I understand that everybody who sees it feels like it deserves its title as such a classic, iconic film. It holds up. It's brilliant. But I just haven't watched it yet. Also brilliant. But in a completely different way is this week's movie, which is 1975's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And this was brought to the show by Austin West from the podcast Football Unfocused. He answered my call for lighter fare movies, and this definitely fits the bill. As I mentioned in the episode, I told him that I was fine doing this as long as we could actually have a conversation about the movie, not just sit down for an hour and quote the film endlessly, because... That's what a lot of people do with that movie, and you completely can understand why. It is a brilliant comedy. Speaking of movies that holds up, it still holds up, and it was great to revisit such a classic comedy. And Austin and I ended up having a pretty good conversation about it. So here we go, 1975's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So you're, uh, where are you located? Um, I'm located in a small town in Midwest Iowa called Walker, Iowa. Uh, around 500 people in it so it's out in eastern iowa how is uh quarantining or sheltering in place uh what's that like in a small town as opposed to like a, a middle-sized city a lot more people tend to brush over the quarantine it seems like sometimes people still kind of go out and shop and go to their local gas station our one restaurant in town is shut down they don't even do pickups or carryouts 
So we've had that. But other than that, everything seems normal. Just you don't see as many people outside all the time. Unless, of course, people are getting their exercise and going for walks. So you don't have like fast food chains around there? Our closest fast food restaurant is a McDonald's about 15 minutes south of our town. That's interesting. I grew up in a really rural area, uh, but I moved away when I was in my early 20s and haven't really been back since. So I don't even think about what this experience might be like there. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Rural Iowa is always fun. That's what I always like to think. It's everyone you know, you see them if they're walking. Otherwise, you won't see them for a long time until this is probably lifted. So you were one of the ones who kind of answered my call for lighter fare movies. Um, and, and you w- went straight to Monty Python. Is this one of your favorite movies? What kind of movies do you normally watch? What do you like? Uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. I think I'm not much for picking favorites, but it's definitely one of, if not my favorite movie of all time. And I always get a lot of flack for that from my mom because that's what she remembers in college was everyone watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail and all the guys sitting around <laughs> and watching that movie. But I really love it. It's I like a lot of comedy movies for sure. And then sports movies are another kind of genre I like to get to, comedy and then action movies. I really love action movies. And then my other like nerd movies, as people like to call them, like Star Wars and stuff, Indiana Jones, those kind of Harry Potter, Fast and the Furious like all those big franchises I really love too. You may be the first person I've ever heard put Fast and the Furious next to Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I'm just rattling them off off the top of my head cuz those were like the two movies. Those are my me and my dad's favorite two franchises for movies besides Star Wars. Yeah, no, I I gotcha. And I and I love both of those franchises. I've just never heard them rattled off uh next to each other like that. Yeah, that's that's what we grew up watching me and my dad were Harry Potter and Fast and the Furious. So it, it, we'll focus, I guess, on comedy, although you've, you've got quite a few genres there. But what kind of comedies do you normally like? Uh, because, I mean, comedy is such a, a vast array of different types. I mean, you have slapstick, you have highbrow, you have all kinds of stuff. What, what kind of comedies? And, and you certainly don't have to pick a favorite, but what are some examples of some comedies that you really like? Uh, right. I gravitate a lot sometimes, usually to like Adam Sandler comedy movies or like if he's in it, usually I've watched it most of the time, like Grown Ups and all the other ones he's in. Waterboy is a great one as well. And just really, if it just really kind of seems interesting to me, I'll watch it. That's literally my standing on movies. If it seems interesting, I'm going to watch it and see how it is. But it's usually not. It's more of those lighthearted uh, comedy movies that I like to watch. Gotcha. Do you Now, do you go see those in the theater or do you tend to watch them more at home? Um, usually I watch those at home. If I'm going to a movie theater to watch a movie, it's usually with me and my buddies. And it's usually the newest Star Wars movie, the newest Marvel movie, DC movie. It's a movie that our whole group of friends can decide on that. We're all going to go out to the movie theaters and watch. Other than that, I mean, if I'm with my family, we usually stay home for movies and watch them there. Gotcha. So, and this is uh, coming from a place of of some self introspection as I've done comedies over the last you know thirty episodes. So, when you watch comedies at home, are you usually watching them by yourself? Are you with your family? Are you with your friends? Uh, what's what experience is is typical for you watching comedies at home? Um, usually, it can vary. Usually, if if we're watching movies around home, it's usually like family movie night or something like that. But I like to watch a lot on my own too, and. Sometimes it makes it funnier. Like if you watch a movie by yourself first and then you watch the same movie over with like your family, even if you know when the jokes are coming, just seeing like how everyone else reacts to can make it sometimes even more enjoyable, I think, in my own eyes anyways. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I I just I've realized uh, how few comedies I've gone and seen over the past decade or so that I've just for some reason kind of skipped over seeing them in the theater And I think part of that is because I tend to go to the movies alone and watching comedies alone just isn't as entertaining as having somebody else there to kind of share the laughter. Like, I don't mind watching an Avengers movie or a Star Wars movie or that kind of thing by myself, but comedy is somehow different. And I've just been trying to put my finger on why that is lately. Yeah, right. I I get that, too. So it's. It's just something about being around other people laughing with them that makes it just like that much more enjoyable. 
And if some people are laughing and they have like a funny laugh or something, that makes you laugh even harder sometimes. Or you get like those friends that will just add on to like the jokes that are in the movie and you just stop paying attention to the movie for like a minute or two because you're laughing at your own jokes that was built off the movie. Yeah, I think that's that's part of it right there. And also that once the movie's done, you have people you can kind of share the punchline with. Like you don't have to recount the entire scene. You can just... Uh, you know, just say the punchline and you both get it because you saw the movie because you already had that shared experience. Exactly. And if you're ever around people in a conversation and you hear a movie quote nine times out of 10, it seems like anyways, in my experience, as I've been around nine out of 10 times, it's from a comedy movie. They're not quoting serious movies like people. If there are lines from a movie that people have memorized, it's going to be movies like Dodgeball or Waterboy, as I mentioned earlier, those classic comedy movies or something that's really funny that a lot of people have seen, then that's what they're going to be quoting. And that's an excellent way to lead into our actual discussion, because this is probably one of the most quoted comedies I know, uh, which is a point I guess I want to get to in a little while. But we're talking today about Monty Python and the Holy Grail from 1975, directed by Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. Written by and starring Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. Once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures. A picture so stunning in its effect, so vast in its impact, that it profoundly affects the lives of all who see it. One such film is... Very good, thank you. Yes, thank you. Next, please. Once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures. Uh, yes, thank you. Next. sake let us do it <clears throat> once in a lifetime there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures now from the people who brought you the 39th anniversary re-release of monty python and the holy grail and are already at work on the 41st anniversary re-release of monty python and the holy grail comes the long-awaited 40th anniversary re-release of monty python and the holy grail get on with it yes get on Back in the cinemas in a special new edition. I told them we already got one. With up to 25% more peril. No, it's too perilous. We are the knights who say... Bring your friends. Carry coconut shell. Wear fancy dress. This isn't my nose, it's a false one. You can even sing along if you like. Stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. See it again for the first time on the big screen. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt... Of Elderberry. Or if you've never seen it, see it now for the first time. Or see it for the first time since you last saw it. Or if you're very old or very <laughs> ill, see it for what may be the last time. I'm not dead. I think I, I could pull through, sir. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Back in cinemas for the first time since the last time. God be praised. Have you actually seen the trailer for this movie? I have not watched the actual trailer. I I never even thought about watching the trailer for this movie to come out. Yeah, if you watch the trailer for the 40th anniversary DVD release, it's them just doing it, but you can hear they're older in their voices. But if you go back and watch the trailer for the original release, the last narrator is speaking Chinese and there's subtitles on the screen. <laughs> And it's basically insulting the movie. It's saying, you know, this is nothing on par with like the seventh seal or that kind of stuff. And, oh, uh, uh, make sure you go see this movie. Our restaurant is located four minutes away. That's something Monty Python could definitely do because they do that kind of thing. At, like the beginning of the actual movie where they have all the subtitles in there to see if like people are watching it and making sure. Because I remember we were watching it with our buddies uh, out at college. I told them we need to watch this movie. I love this movie. And they're like, oh yeah, that's a good movie. We'll throw it in. And we weren't paying attention for a second. We're like, man, is the movie even playing? And we kind of looked up and it was just the subtitles running at the very beginning of the movie with the black screen over it. Right, right. Yeah, they're they're j jumping into uh, high speed with the jokes like right away. 
So I, I forgot to ask you before we got started, what are your have not seen this movies? What are movies that you haven't seen that people learn about and give you a hard time about? Movies I haven't seen. Oh, that's, that's stuff. I get a lot of crap about movies because I just don't hear about them. And I'm trying to think because I've always tried to watch the movies after because I remember Waterboy was always one for a really long time. Dodgeball was too. People would quote it and I wouldn't know it. And Step Brothers. Step Brothers was one that I got for a really, really long time. Surprisingly, Will Ferrell's movie, Step Brothers, I don't know how I went so long without seeing that movie. But off the top, I can't really think of movies that I get quoted that I haven't seen beside that I haven't like gone out and tried to find and watch before, to be honest. That's an interesting list because I don't think I've seen any of those movies. <laughs> oh, those are all great comedies. Those are all solid. They're so good. I love those movies. Yeah. Well, as I said, I've just kind of, I've just kind of realized I've missed comedies, you know, that I've just kind of skipped over them and I need to, to make up for that. So I'll definitely be at least two of those that you just mentioned are ones that I need to get around to. So you you said told your college buddies that you needed they needed to watch this movie. How do you describe this movie to people who haven't seen it? How, how do you sell them on seeing Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Selling Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a tough one for sure because half of them had already seen it and they had, had agreed uh, it's a good movie and they thought it was funny. But we're all guys, so like like my mom always said, like back in her day, that was the only per- people that would watch Monty Python were the guys in college. But I had one of my friends in high school because I d- I watched this movie, I believe I was a sophomore, I believe a junior in high school, and I convinced one of my friends uh, that she should watch it, and I got her hooked on Monty Python movies. Like She watched Life of Brian as well after that, which is also another movie I've seen as well, which is pretty good. But like convinced her, I'm like, okay, so the humor in this, it's going to be weird, but it'll be really funny. And it's like the same nine people playing every character that's important inside this movie. And a lot of the jokes are going to be really obvious, but they're going to be super funny. And there's just going to be a lot of stuff like you don't expect. Half the time at that point, you just like, you just got to watch it. You just got to watch it. You'll understand when you watch it kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm bringing an interesting experience to this episode in that when I sat down to watch this, to record this, I got my 11-year-old son to watch it with me. And to answer that, that question of how do you sell this to someone, I didn't. I told him we were watching a movie. I told him the name of it, and that was it. I didn't tell him anything about it. I didn't. I just told him the name, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's a hard-to-explain movie to someone, for sure. No matter what their age is, it's hard to explain. So you, you said if you had to pick favorites, this is probably up there. Why was this your pick to bring to this show? Why Why... Uh, out of all the comedies. I mean, you mentioned some other really good ones, admittedly ones I haven't seen, but why Holy Grail? Uh, this one is like, I feel like one that has people haven't seen because it's like an older movie. Like Will Ferrell comedies, almost everyone's seen those, like Talladega Nights and the other guys and Step Brothers and a lot of Adam Sandler ones people have seen because those are, those are recent actors more. But Monty Python is back older days. Like I said, when my mom was in college, that was a big thing. I keep going back to that because that's, like where it really started, where I started getting made fun of, like air quotes around that, but like teasing about it for my mom. <laughs> but it just, it's just so funny to me. And like, I'll bring up quotes from it sometimes, like in natural life that don't even pertain. I'll just be thinking about it sometimes, like the scene where they're weighing the duck in stuff to see if the lady's a witch. <laughs> like that scene is like always in my head. Sometimes it feels like, and the French over the wall that that scene I like to quote all the time where they give him raspberries and stuff. And oh God, yeah, it's just like one of the few movies. Like I'm not very good at remembering like quotes and stuff. It's one of the few movies that I can actually like remember quotes from, and I find funny every time I watch the movie. Well, yeah, and I think that was my response to you when you picked this movie was, you know, I'm fine with it as long as we can actually have a conversation about the film and not just spend an hour quoting the movie because I could easily do that. I mean, I could sit here and just, you know, your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it is so highly quotable. It is. And just that it's the same like nine guys, like I said earlier, coming up with all these jokes right at one after the another. And there's not ever a boring moment i feel like sometimes okay there might be one or two i take that back but other than that it's 
joke after joke after joke. What do you think would be considered a boring moment? Because I, I just watched this and I feel like it moves pretty damn fast. It does move fast. I think if any part's going to be considered boring to someone, it's the part where it's entirely the illustrations. But even that oh, still yeah. has its funny moments in there. Like it's got those little snippets of a funny moment, like a guy getting covered in snow. I remember at one part, um, the part where he's running down the stairs to yell at the sun and the clouds for jumping outside his castle and stuff like that. But <laughs> if I had to call it like that would be the like main spot of like boredom for people. I feel like if people thought it was boring. Yeah. And those are even brief as they are. So yeah, I could totally see that. So I have to ask about your friend. Cause you, you said you introduced a female friend to it and, and your mother had said everybody she knew who liked was guys. It kind of, to me sounds like, some people consider Monty Python to be along the lines of like the three stooges where it's guys comedy, but women don't tend to go for it. Did, did your friend like this? Oh, she loved that movie after like for a week after that, she was just quoting it to me and just like talking about how much she liked it. And then, like I said, I recommended like uh Monty Python life of Brian to her to have her watch. I don't remember if she ever actually watched it, but she was real. She loved that movie because she was like thinking of movies to watch. And I, when I had given it to her, and then she watched it, and for like a week or two, she was just quoting that thing to me. I think she still can if I asked her honestly. She could probably pull at least <laughs> ten quotes from that movie. Well, yeah, I mean that was the thing that surprised me about watching this with my son is he saw one of the screenshots on Netflix when we went to load it up, and he went, "Is this the movie with the holy hand grenade of Antioch?" I'm like, dude, you're 11. How do you know that? And apparently one of the YouTubers he follows referenced that. And so like he could quote this movie before he'd even seen it. No, oh, the holy hand grenade. Like I've seen and you can see clips from this movie in like posts and stuff on Twitter and stuff. Because I've seen one like when you're trying to add more words to your essay. And it's where they're talking about how you're supposed to count to three for the holy hand grenade. And they're talking about <laughs> no more, no less. Definitely not four, definitely not two, and just having Five that whole conversation. Right yeah. Right, and right. Put that on there for like, if you ever need to add more words to your essay and stuff like that. And so it's still relatable still in this day, because I know college students have that problem all the time, trying to find more words to add to their essays that are due in like 10 minutes and it's 1149 at night. Right, right. I've, I think everybody has been there, no matter how devoted a student you want to pretend you were, everybody has been in that position. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a lot of people feel like Life of Brian is the superior movie. Do you, how do you feel about Life of Brian compared to Holy Grail? Holy Grail is superior, 100%. In really? my eyes, I, I think so. Life of Brian, I feel like it's got some... High, higher quality jokes in there at points but overall i think holy grail is a funnier movie i think life of brian's got a more of a normal comedy movie it's got that serious tone in it like a plot line tone in it but holy grail is just them having fun half the time it seems like gotcha okay well let's take a quick look at some of the critical views of this at, at this movie you know, this show follows a, a somewhat standard format in some ways, and this movie is trying to unearth that format in just about every way, which seems very appropriate for the Pythons. Critically, it sits at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, at 93% at Metacritic. I think that may be the highest rating scores we've had on this show. I mean, it's pretty damn near universally loved. Uh, trying to find negative reviews proved incredibly challenging because of the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes. There was only one and it doesn't actually have a link to the review, but I was able to find a quote, unfortunately, through Wikipedia. Apologies for not doing real research there. Um, but Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune actually didn't like this movie when it first came out uh, and said it contained about 10 very funny moments and 70 minutes of silence. Too many of the jokes took too long to set up a trait shared by both blazing saddles and young Frankenstein. I guess I prefer Monty Python in chunks in its original television re review format. Is it young Frankenstein? One of those movies that's like revered by everyone too. And it's a pretty famous movie. I feel like it so is, is blazing but... saddles. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those are Mel Brooks films that are just universally loved. Now blazing saddles has some issues as far as like, how culture has changed and it's a snapshot of where culture was when it was filmed. But young Frankenstein is pretty, pretty universally loved. Yes. Yeah. So 
and 10 minutes of funny and that's it? I think this guy needs to step back, take a look at his own sense of humor or something. Like it's supposed <laughs> to be that kind of stupid funny. Like that whole movie's got those moments in it and not all of them are like super long to set up. I mean, I'm trying to think and the reason I wanted to pull this up because of what you just said is he says, I prefer Monty Python in chunks in its original television review format. And that's the difference between this and Life of Brian is this still feels like it's those television sized chunks thrown together into one long narrative. And and frankly, the narrative isn't the strongest. You know, it is definitely those little chunks put together. Exactly. Like you've got the main thing. They're trying to find the Holy Grail. But then all of them go off on their separate ways. So they all have their own, like, if it was a TV show, they'd all have their own chunk or episode even in this whole storyline. And that's basically what they threw together. Because Lancelot spends time at one castle, and then King Arthur goes and finds the Knights of Knee, and then Sir Robin is just running around scared the whole time. But other than that, yeah, they're, they're like chunks just thrown together as like they would be in TV. Yeah. Well, the flip side, Liam Lacey for The Globe and the Mail has one of many, many, many positive reviews, but uh, there was something he, he says here that I wanted to to bring up. Uh, he, he writes that it's been so quoted and requoted that the scenes and words feel tattooed onto the psychic membrane. And then he goes on to say, more than a quarter century down the road, Monty Python seems more cleverly amusing than deeply funny in the way Charlie Chaplin or Groucho Marx can still arouse astonishment and delight after the 10th viewing. Much of the Python experience now seems the comic equivalent of a series of vintage pop songs, which you nod along to and mouth the words. And I I like this idea that Python has kind of been tattooed onto the psychic membrane because this movie came out in 1975. I discovered it when I was in high school, probably. So late 80s, early 90s is when I discovered it. We'll say 90s just for the sake of what I'm kind of saying here. I became a teacher in 2007 and saw students discovering this and was a teacher until 2017 and still saw students discovering it. So you've got 30 years there between my own high school experience and my teaching experience of people still discovering this and quoting it and it's still being. So my question to you is, why do you think generations keep finding this movie so easily when I don't see them finding Charlie Chaplin or Groucho Marx the way that Lacey kind of says there? Um, I think because like I like how you brought up like 2017 was like you when you ended because that's probably around the exact time I found it personally when I was in high school was 2017, 2018 that year. But I think it's so stuck on people's heads because Charlie Chaplin was like silent film most of the time. So most people don't like remember like quotes and stuff as easily from that. But I think a lot of these quotes are really remembered. And that's why people like still like still reference it like you said your kid had seen it in a YouTube video from someone referencing the Holy hand grenade. And so I think people can reference it and they still remember it. And it's just timeless jokes. Like anyone could relate to those jokes, like the coconuts instead of horses. That's funny. No matter what age you are in like that joke can apply to anyone. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like it's all adult humor or something, or it's all kids humor that adults don't find funny. It's universally funny jokes half the time. It seems like and some of the other movies have more like adult humor in them or like humor aimed towards teenagers and up and don't have like the younger kids in them. But again, this one's like universally funny to all ages. Yeah, I was a little nervous showing it to him uh, because I figured he'd like some of the jokes, but I couldn't remember how mature some of the content gets. Like, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't show him meaning of life, for, for instance. But this is pretty wholesome as far as comedy goes. I mean, it's it's not. It's slipped. It has some innuendo in there. It has some hints at something that if you're not old enough to get, you probably don't even realize what you're missing. Right. Like Lancelot and that whole cast, his whole thing is that that's just innuendo. That whole chunk is just a huge innuendo. But other than that, like there's really nothing else. Like Life of Brian has some of those more mature things in it too, but this one's a lot more wholesome for everybody. Yeah. So what are your favorite gags from this movie? My favorite gags from this movie, definitely when they're trying to figure out if the lady's a witch and they're like, (laughs) oh, she's got the nose and the mole. It's like, they put it on me. Did you put it on her? Well, yeah, but still, um, that whole scene. She turned me into a newt. 
I got I'm better. Fi- I got better. <laughs> but like that whole scene is like one of my top favorite ones. And then the knights that go knee, that's a solid one as well. I really like I really right. gotta find a more shrubbery. Find me right. more shrubbery. But right now the knights who then, go icky icky ting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that that scene's great as well. The French, the French when they're there at the beginning and then they come back at the towards the end. I thought that was great. Yeah. I can say one of my least favorite gags out of that movie is probably the ending where it all just gets shut down. Like it's not that it's bad. It's like it's so unexpected. It's just right, like, wait, right. really? That's how this movie is going to end? Like this great, funny movie. It's so good. I was enjoying the whole thing. And it's just going to stop because everybody got arrested at the very end. Yeah. And I referenced that on another episode of this podcast, how bizarre that ending is. That it's just, you know, it, the story is building towards something and then it's just suddenly derailed by these minor references that were made about the murder of the historian. And then you see the police kind of investigating and then suddenly it's done. And that was actually exactly what my son said when the movie was over is he, he said, I would like to say I liked that, but that ending was horrible. Yeah, exactly. Like after a few t- more times, like watching it, you're like, okay, I, I can respect this ending. I see what they were going for. And like you said, they're like trying to overturn everything about like a normal film, which they did. Like they brought in the historian and then just as soon as they did that for like background, they just killed him off immediately. And then they just have like the chunks and stuff. And then just an ending that just abruptly ends like right at the climax of the movie. Right, right. And I mean, it, it gets some good laughs. I mean, the historian getting hit in the first place, that's a good laugh. And then the quick flash cut to it with the police taking her, you know, his, his widow's report that's gets a laugh. And then later on them not being able to find Lancelot after they cross the, the bridge of death and, you know, calling out for Lancelot and we get the shot of him being, you know, frisked on the police car that gets a laugh, but I didn't expect it to be the actual ending of the film. <laughs> exactly. Like you just expect it to be there bits and pieces. And then maybe at the end after they find the grail, cause it's like, it's the final battle or so to say for the movie, because they just get a bunch of extras out of nowhere to storm this castle. And then everybody just gets arrested because the cars pull the cop cars pull up and the vans pull up and just stop everybody. Yeah, that actually almost starts kind of the total what the hell is going on of the ending is when Arthur rallies this army that just appears out of nowhere. And it's like, where have they been the entire movie that all of a sudden you decide you're going to attack the French and you instantly have an army. And that's kind of where the, what the hell's going on moment starts. And then that collides with, or perfectly aligns with the police showing up. Exactly. Cause at first there was like five guys to arrest. And then now there's just a whole, whole bunch of extras and it was one of the extras that ended up i'm pretty sure like murdering the historian but so that kind of leads up to it but still it's just five guys and then all of a sudden huge army cops roll up everybody's going to jail so one of the things i noticed on this watch and i've probably seen this movie a dozen times easily because it's again i discovered it in high school my friends and i became obsessed with monty python we had the albums this was before dvds but we would whatever vhs tapes we could get our hands on we had the script books so we could read the damn skits when we couldn't see them i mean we were obsessed with them um but one of the things i noticed on this rewatch was some of the running gags that i had never noticed before like how many times someone and it starts with that that like second scene in the movie of the the bring out your dad and and the guy has the old man on his back and the old man's like I'm not dead yet I'm getting better you know and that actually recurs numerous times throughout the film when somebody is looks like they're on death's door and one of the other characters is saying they're dead and their response is I'm getting better and it, it happens at least 3 times that I had never noticed before I haven't noticed that either so that's something I'll have to look for when I watch it again. Yeah. I mean, it happens with the old man at the beginning. It happens with Lancelot's squire who gets shot by the arrow, uh, you know, from with the message on it. Uh, And then it happens one other time, if I remember correctly as well. And it was like, that's, I never noticed that. And then the other thing, which is really hard to notice because it's just in the background is the, the, the cat abuse that is happening in this film. And that also starts in that bring out your dead scene where there are several times cats, yeah, several times cats just being 
smashed against walls or whatever and little cat meow being uttered when they hit the wall and but that's it it's just background i've i've only noticed that first one when it's the bring out your dead and i saw that on like my third time because i think i don't remember i saw a post i think either on twitter or instagram it was just randomly popped up on my timeline it's like if you look in the background you can see an old lady swatting a cat against the side of the house and so the next time i watched it i was looking out for that and I finally saw it, but I didn't know that happened anywhere else in the movie. Yeah, it happens again later on in the film. And I can't rem- I didn't apparently write down in my notes when, um, but I know it was a scene with Arthur and Bedivere approaching a-, a building and that it was happening almost in the foreground. Like you're focused on them. So you're not necessarily paying attention to what's happening on the left side of the screen, but it's like right there. Hmm. Yeah. So that's there's thing number two I got to look out for next time I watch this movie. Yeah. And it's like those little details are like ridiculous and pointless, but it's also almost why I would just say Python was so brilliant because you put something in there that nobody's going to notice and you can get a good laugh out of it when people finally do. Right. And I think the best running gag they had, well, I guess it related to the story the most, but I, so that kind of makes it the best in most people's eyes is the swallow, the weight of a swallow joke. That's probably the best one they've got running through there. Yeah. I mean, and that starts in the first scene, the tower guard asking about, you know, trying to pontificate about uh, the velocity of an unladen swallow or, or what if it's an African swallow? And the two of them start debating that to the point that Arthur just gets tired and runs off, but that's called back so many times throughout the movie. Yeah. And it comes to that bridge of the questions because he asked him how far could a swallow fly? And Arthur asked him European or African swallow. And even the bridge master gets like confused and he's like, oh, I don't know. And that ends up sending him into the ravine. And so he, they're able to cross the bridge. Yeah. I, and I've always loved that solution to the problem is, you know, posing the question back to the, the riddle of master and he can't answer it. So he gets defeated. I've always loved that solution to that test. Yeah. And that scene overall is just funny because of the questions. Because the first two questions for everybody are basic. What's your name? What's your quest? And then I believe it's Lancelot at the very beginning who gets, what's your favorite color? And he says blue. And he's like, all right, I'll go. And then the second guy gets yep. like, what's the capital of, I don't remember. I think it was Iraq of the country. But And so he obviously gets that one wrong. And then the third guy asks, what's your favorite color? And he second guesses himself. And he gets it wrong. <laughs> yeah. He second yeah. He says blue. No, wait. And then just gets sent in. it's like it's just those dumb kind of jokes that are just funny yeah i love it i absolutely i mean that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie just because of that again it's like you wouldn't expect someone to get the question what's your favorite color wrong and yet i bet if you went around you probably would find some people stumble over it i mean it's almost natural yeah it is because you say something then you're like well do i actually like that color and then Some people will second guess themselves or they'll take a lot longer than you would expect to think about it because they want to be like, oh, I I want to be original. I don't want to think of something that everybody says blue and green and red. I want to think of something different. Yeah, there was some joke a couple of years ago about that, about people who are like, my favorite color is chartreuse. No, your favorite color is purple. Just shut up. You know, I was I don't even remember who the comedian was who was doing it, but that there was this desire for originality that people were picking out the most ridiculous colors as their favorite colors. I remember because I would do that as a kid. I remember when I was younger because like I couldn't decide on a favorite color. I'm very indecisive, but I couldn't decide if I like blue or green. So I'm just like, well, let's just take the mixture. I'll say my favorite color is turquoise and just go like that and just take the combination of the two. And because it sounds original. Right, right. Sasha. Hey, Courtney. Where can you get hot takes about ghosts, cryptids, farts, and cats? I don't know. Where? On our podcast, Spoop Hour. Oh, that's right. Each week, we talk about the things that spook us out, and we laugh through our fear. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spoop Hour, and you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or really anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Feel free to also drop us a line at spoophour at gmail.com. We want to hear about your ghosts. Thanks. Everybody knows a lot of the jokes from this movie. I mean, I I guarantee you, 
you know, when we were just talking about the bridge of death, that people who are listening were quoting it along with us, you know, but there were some parts that, that stood out to me that aren't necessarily as often quoted about this, but still aren't bad moments. Like during the, the tale of Sir Galahad at Castle Anthrax, where the woman turns to the camera and starts talking about how good this scene is and how they wanted to cut it, but she's glad they left it in. And then you start getting the montage of the different people yelling, get on with it. And it's like, that's actually a really funny moment, but nobody really quotes that one. I think no one really quotes that whole chunk of the movie. And I had the name wrong earlier. Cause I was, when I was saying Lancelot at the castle, that's what I, I was thinking of this one. Galahad. Yeah. Galahad. Lancelot. Yeah. Yeah, when I was talking about innuendos and stuff, I was thinking of Galahad's whole trip to the castle, not Lancelot. I messed up the names, but yeah, I feel like that whole that whole chunk of the movie does not get quoted at all, if ever. Yeah, well, and interestingly, I feel like the same is true of of Lancelot's run on uh, the Swamp Castle. Like, you know, everybody quotes the beginning of that bit where it's, you know, one day all of this will be yours. What? The curtains? No, not the curtains. You know, people quote that kind of stuff. And of course, the the interaction with the guards. But Lancelot's actual ridiculous run up to the castle with, you know, his charge that's repeated. Exactly. Ad nauseum. (laughs) Nobody talks about that. Once he arrives at the castle and he's killing everybody and then he's apologetic about it and then the dad is like trying to maneuver his way into this political marriage, nobody talks about that either. And it's not it's not that it's not funny, but for some reason, those two scenes tend to not have made as big a splash as some of the other parts of the film. And yeah, I just saw it. I think it was like last week. I finally saw like a post with the scene of him running up on the guards and they just i'm trying to remember it was about uh the covid 19 and i think it was like everyone just like calm and not because it was a thing and has, wasn't really happening anywhere else besides china at that point and that's like what they were showing how it's it was contained to china and just looks like him running and him running and everyone's really calm and then all of a sudden he gets there and it's like all the other countries reacting to covid 19 finally getting to them <laughs> and then because it's yeah. just they're just so calm. The guy's eating a fruit at the time and he looks so far away and then it cuts back them and he's immediately there, stabs them both and stabs one of them. He doesn't even stab both of them. I don't think. And he just runs inside. No. Yeah. He stabs one of them and just runs inside. The other guard is like, Hey, Wait a second. that's not right. <laughs> well, for me, this is particularly funny timing as far as the podcast goes, because this is coming on the heels of the graduate. And in the graduate, there's a scene where the main character is running And they use camera tricks to make it look like he's not getting very far. It's just, it's a, it's a a trick of depth perception with the camera. And then you go to this movie where they just repeat the same cycle of John Cleese running towards the castle. And then they cut back to the guards reaction and they cut back to John Cleese running and it's the exact same clip. So he really hasn't gotten any closer. Yeah. Cause at first, when I first saw it, I'm like, man, is he just running in place? But then you start to notice that he's, they start him right as he comes over the hill. So every time they play it, like his knees down, you can't see. And then slowly you see him right. and it just comes back up and you're like, oh, it's the same exact clip every time. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a great bit, but I guess it's not really quotable because it's, a, it's more of a visual gag. So maybe that's why it hasn't gotten as much love over the years. I don't know. Right. So some of the stuff that my son cracked up at, he totally saw the Trojan rabbit gag coming like i I told him when the construction was going on i said you might not get this joke and as this trojan rabbit gets wheeled out towards the french castle he's like oh i totally get it but why aren't they inside of it and of course then they explained that they needed to be inside of it and it's like he was he was a a step ahead of them but that's part of the punchline i think i think the audience is supposed to be ahead of them for that yeah and that's like how jokes are universally people are able to get because it's the obvious joke half the time but the obvious joke is still going to make you laugh because it's still a good joke. Like, because the whole rabbit pulls up and they pull him out. And the costumes for the French in that whole scene as well, when they're in like skin tight leotards the whole time. But just that part's funny as well. But when they're all walking in and they're like, all right, so how are we supposed to do this? And you just kind of look at the screen and you're like, wait a second, they're all still here. And they just took the rabbit inside. That doesn't add up. And right, you start to realize right. what the joke is. And I love that's that's one of the rare moments. Almost every other 
part of the reason, you know, they divide the troop up is so that they can have other members of the troop play the enemies as they encounter them. But that first uh, assault with the French, John Cleese is, of course, playing the Frenchman up on the tower. But when they do the shots down at Arthur and his company, John Cleese's Lancelot is standing there as well. And it just cracked. It's one of the few moments in the movie where the actor is playing two different roles in the same scene. Right. And I think the first time I noticed, like the first time I played it, I didn't realize it was the same like nine guys at first because they're usually good with the the hair and makeup and hiding it. And the first time I noticed it was when they had the night with three heads that Sir Robin met and King Arthur's head was in the middle. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, that's King Arthur. Have they just been replaying? <laughs> and then I started slowly made the connections with the other two heads. I'm like, oh, my God, it's been the same people this whole time. And I think it was it was still the first time I watched it. But that's over halfway through the movie. And I'm just now realizing it. Yeah. And that was that was the exact same place that my son, you know, I had already told him, you do realize it's the same five guys uh, playing the different parts. And he said, I think so. And then when that monster, the three headed monster shows up who gets underutilized, like he, there's almost no point to that. And I love that. They kind of throw that back when, uh, when she breaks the fourth wall during the castle anthrax scene. But when that, that monster with the three heads and Arthur is, you know, the middle one, Graham Chapman is the middle one. That's what my son recognized it too. It was like, Oh, that's Arthur right there. Yeah. And I think after watching Holy Grail, when you go and watch the life of Brian, it's much easier to tell that it's the same people over and over again because all the characters in that movie seem like they don't have the facial hair or anything. So they're all just like clean shaven most of the time. And so you can tell it's the same guys over and over again, just in different clothes half the time. Right now you referenced it earlier and I, I should have taken that opportunity to jump on it, but I, I didn't, um, you know, the, the jokes start from the very beginning with the sub with the Swedish subtitles to the opening credits. Right. And then Talk starts about talking about, yaks, the m- I believe moose, you moose? know that my sister was bit by a moose yeah and uh and then they're sacked and they continue talking about moose and then they change the credit style and suddenly llamas are everywhere in the credits and it's like this absolute ridiculousness just from the start but it really sets the the tone for the film of nothing here is going to be taken seriously even the opening credits exactly and that's just kind of the style that they have they had back when they were on TV and throughout all of their movies and most of their movies. I've only seen the two, but throughout that whole movie, they have that same lighthearted humor. Don't take anything seriously. Oh, have you not seen meaning of life? I have not seen meaning of life. It is. It's not as well received as Holy grail and life of Brian, but I like it. It gets a little existential in a few places, which I think is fun, but it has some really I think funny bits to it. it. It is more like their show in that it is short segments. You know, it's, it's sketches put together. There's no real overlying narrative to it. They're just all focused on the meaning of life. And of course it has every sperm is sacred, which is just a great musical number. Yeah. Sometimes when they, when they put musical numbers in, they're usually pretty good. Like I know, Trying to think, I don't think Monty Python has the Holy Grail one doesn't have one, but Life of Brian does right at the very end of the movie where they're all hanging up and they're all singing Sunshine, I think is what they're singing as a song. But always look on the bright side of life, yeah, that's what they're singing at the end. That that one's really good. I think that musical number is really good in that one, but I don't think Holy Grail ever has a musical. Oh, Sir Robin's people following him, they sing. It has the musical number for Camelot, which is just very brief, but that's even why they decide not to go there because it's a silly place because of that musical number. So, yeah. I mean, some of their music is just brilliant from Flying Circus, but it didn't fit into this movie, which, so I'm glad. I think it's funny that they, their biggest punchline with the music is for him not to sing when it's the Prince, uh, Prince Harold. Uh, you know, right. that his dad doesn't want him to sing. And I, I think that's the better punchline than throwing in songs in this movie. It's really well done. As you said, the song in life, of Brian, and I, I like it in uh, meaning of life. There's a couple of songs, but it's well used here and, and in its scarcity. Yeah, exactly. Like when they're trying not to get him to, the prince to sing, that person was funny. And I think like once Lancelot's trying to leave, they all start trying to sing again because he survived and then he finally right. is able to sing at the very end of the scene. He finally gets his chance to sing. <laughs> All right. So what else you want to chat about about this? 
Oh, I'm trying to think. It's all just so good. It's hard to pick certain things to talk about with this movie, honestly. Yeah, no. I mean, it's 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 so brilliant, and I'm glad that I got the chance to revisit it because it had been a while. But it's also funny how often I was sitting there doing exactly what that review said, which was, you know, I, I was quoting, I was talking along with the movie. I just was doing it quietly because I didn't want to ruin the experience for my son. But I'm saying so much of it right alongside the movie, because even though I haven't seen the movie in a number of years, those lines are just drilled into my head. Yeah, because they're nice, simple lines, too. It's like not complicated jokes. Like the scene with the Black Knight, that scene, everybody, even people who haven't seen that movie recognize Tis But a Flesh Wound, which isn't even the actual like quote, I don't think. Like if I remember correctly, that's like not the exact wording, but still people remember that scene and that quote. And most people haven't right. even seen the movie and they know that one. Yeah, no, he says Tis But a Scratch. And then later, he, yeah, and I've had worse, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love the Black Knight scenes. It's so funny. And like the part that they quote the tis but a flesh or tis but a scratch. And like they don't quote the part where he's like, oh, I'll headbutt, headbutt you because he's got no limbs. Like that part right. is so much funnier to me. Like he's just he's just a torso and a head and he's trying to headbutt King Arthur and not let him go through his path. <laughs> it's it's funny the number of things, the obstacles they come up against that are just blocking the path. You know, the the three-headed monster later on is just blocking the path. The knights who say knee are just blocking the path. Like, there's no motivation behind them other than just to be an obstacle. Exactly. But great obstacles they are. And it just brings... Some of those obstacles have, like, the best moments in the movie, too. Yeah. Yo, agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, let's move into the end credits here. I got a couple of games for you before we're done. Uh, First up is The Algorithm Says. This is... Uh, normally a list of movies that various algorithms say you'll like because you liked this. So this is like a lightning round as far as your quick reactions. Do you like this movie? Do you not like this movie? Have you not seen it? Do you not see how it's connected? But we're just going to go ahead and say that to not see how it's connected is kind of irrelevant because all the algorithms seem to be drunk this week because you got the strangest bunch of movies I've ever seen in this game so far. Yeah, because Monty Python is just one of those ones that can connect to anything, really. <laughs> yeah, well, I some of these I even question how, though. But uh, so, yeah, so it's lightning round. Your responses. Do you like these movies? Do you not like them? What do you think about them? That kind of thing. All right. All right. All right. First up, Blazing Saddles. Haven't seen it, man. It is. As I said, it's dated, but it's good. But it's it's definitely a product of its time, which is not a time that we're in anymore. Although some of that, I think, makes it especially relevant. All right, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I feel like I've heard of that, but I've I've definitely never seen it. Yeah, it's a good spoof on horror movies. Um, Alan Tudyk uh, from Firefly and, geez, just about everything these days. And um, uh, I suddenly went blank on the other guy's name, which is a shame because I really like him. But they play country rednecks. It's a pair of country rednecks who are like who you would expect to be the murderers in a horror movie when a group of kids goes out to the country, except for they're trying to, to help the kids and just be nice to the kids. And the kids are still dying anyway. I'm trying to, th- is that from the same people that are in Shaun of the dead by any chance? It is not. It, it's done by it's a completely okay. different group of people. Yeah. Okay. Cause that just seems like something that would be up their alley. Like those people, those two yeah, guys. It, it has that same feel to it. Yeah. yeah. It has that same feel to it, it but it's, it's not from them. No. Okay. Uh, all right. Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Have never heard of that and have not seen it. Okay. It is uh, a spoof on Kung Fu movies. Okay. So everything we've had on the list so far have been like spoof, satire, comedy type things. Now Which the list sense. gets really weird. Yeah. The Shadow. I feel like I'm not going to know any of these movies. <laughs> you don't know The Shadow? The Shadow? No, I do not know The Shadow. Yeah, it's uh based on the old radio serials. It's Alec Baldwin playing, you know, The Shadow, the tit- titular character superhero type thing. It's bad. It's not good. <laughs> it's still fun. I actually love it, but it's not good. All right. Uh A Serious Man. Nope, haven't seen it, haven't heard of it. Okay. It's Cohen Brothers. It's one of their not top tier movies i it's another one that i absolutely love but i have no idea how it's connected to this film i i guarantee you you've heard of some of the, the remaining ones okay die hard oh i've seen die hard six and most of die hard one and two 
I wish I've seen Die Hard 1 in full. I really need to do that. Wow. I didn't think there was anybody out there who hadn't seen Die Hard. I still don't know. know how it's connected to Monty Python, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a weird one. All right. Okay, real question though. Yeah. Die Hard, is that a Christmas movie or no? Oh, if you want to watch it at Christmas, it's a Christmas movie. I, I don't get into that argument. I'm fine with it being a Christmas movie. I don't feel like you have, like a lot a lot of Christmas movies, really the only right time to watch them is at Christmas time. And I don't think Die Hard falls into that category. Like if I wanted to watch right. Die Hard now, I would feel absolutely comfortable doing that. Whereas if I wanted to watch like Elf now, I'd feel a little weird about it. Yeah, that's what I kind of like to use for my argument because I always, I always take that it is a Christmas movie side because I quote, hallmark movies if like those rom-coms right because what makes them christmas movies is they're placed at christmas die hard is placed at christmas right therefore christmas movie yeah no i i I see the argument i just i think it's silly that people want to fight over it so uh okay raiders of the lost and i love it i love that one oh raiders of the lost are good movie yeah love that movie yeah what the hell does it have to do with monty python (laughs) Yeah, I hate that someone said that um, it doesn't like Indiana Jones's part in that movie doesn't matter because now I see it completely differently and I don't like that. That was from an episode of Big Bang Theory, and I totally agree yeah. with you. I, I that has marred the movie a little bit for me. <laughs> it has. And it's just like, oh, this was such a good movie, and now you say that, and you just think about it, and you're like, oh my god, you're right. Like the only different thing that would have happened if he wasn't there was Marion probably would have died. That would have been the only difference. And they wouldn't have, and they wouldn't have dug in the wrong place. They would have dug in the right place the first time. Exactly. Like it would have taken them less time to get to where they got to. Right. (laughs) And maybe more people would have died. Well, actually maybe more of them would have died because maybe more of them would have been present when they opened the the arc. So maybe he could have ruined more Nazis. I don't know. (laughs) He saved them from a, worse fate maybe you could say (laughs) (laughs) all right uh return of the jedi good movie also very good love star wars movies these movies i'm starting to get into these are the ones i like right i told you i i knew that you'd like these these last ones uh jurassic park it's been a long time since i've seen jurassic park oh gosh it has been so long i don't (laughs) think i've seen that in 10 years maybe plus because I remember at one point we were younger and we watched all three because that's all my grandparents had on VHS was Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> so me and my cousins, that's what we watched because we'd seen all like the Disney movies they had. So we're like, oh, what's Jurassic Park? Let's watch this. It's got dinosaurs. Yeah, that can be frightening for a little kid, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lastly, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. I'm trying to. Is that the one of Jonah Hill? Right. No, no, no. This is uh, no, Tarantino's breakout film. That's War Dogs. Yeah, you're. Yeah. Yep. I'm thinking of War Dogs. That's the one with Jonah Hill. But I have not seen it. No. Oh, great film. Very Shakespearean and early Tarantino. Like, it, there's a reason why his career really took off after that. And of course, Pulp Fiction came next. But Reservoir Dogs was a great foundation. To carry on with the wooden the movies that people quote that I they're mad I haven't seen all Tarantino films. I'm pretty sure. Really? Like, I don't think I've seen a single Tarantino. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't think I've seen a single one. So are you just not a fan of Tarantino? Well, no, if you haven't seen a single one, you can't even say you're not a fan. So what's the holdup? Why not watch them? I just haven't like gotten around to those movies. Like Pulp Fiction, I've heard, I've seen, I've heard people talk about, just never got around to watching it. Kill Bill, I people have talked about and just never got around to watching it. Interesting. Once upon a time, Hollywood that just came out or was it La La Land? That was his. No, it's once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> La La Land is a musical fantasy. Yeah, it's definitely not Tarantino. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't sound right, but I want to make sure I'm getting my facts straight. But yeah, I haven't <laughs> yeah. seen once upon a time in Hollywood either, which looks like a good movie that I wanted to see, but I just haven't got around to it. All right. We always end with a pop quiz. These are four multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Number one, the Pythons gathered funding for their first feature by approaching rock bands, most of whom were happy to contribute as, quote, a good tax write off. What band did not help provide funds for the project? So it's which band did not Uh, help provide funds. Yeah. Uh, A, Led Zeppelin, B, Pink Floyd, C, The Rolling Stones or D, Genesis. 
I'm going to go C, Rolling Stones. There you go. That's sure enough. The other three did. I don't know that they approached the Rolling Stones or not, but they didn't. They weren't listed as donator, donors. All right. Number two, Python member John Cleese has recently stated that one part of the movie left him dissatisfied, wishing they had come up with something better. What part? A, the lack of horses. B, the rabbit of Carbonog. C, the Black Knight segment. Or D, the abrupt ending. I feel like he'd want more of the... Uh, that's tough. Because those are all like good moments. Uh, I'm going to go with D, the abrupt ending. Yep. He said he wished they had come up with something better. Oddly enough, from Michael Palin's notes, it looks like they had come up with something better. It just was too expensive. So Yeah, because that was a really low budget movie. Doing really well on this so far. Number three, one of the DVD releases from the film features subtitles for people who don't like the film. These subtitles are taken from what alternate source? A, Shakespeare's Henry IV Part Two. B, Monty Python's Life of Brian. C, The Godfather, or D, Terms of Endearment? I'm trying to think. I have the DVD. I don't <laughs> remember if it's on it. I kind of want to go get it, but I'm not going to do I won't cheat like that. So I'm going to say, I don't think it's Life of Brian or Godfather, so I'm going to go Terms of Endearment. No, it's Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth, Part Two. <laughs> ah, dang it. Because I can see it. I can literally turn around and I see the DVD on my dresser right now. Yeah, I don't think the DVD case actually says what they use. I think it's just called subtitles for people who don't like the film, which I've always found funny because why would you be watching the DVD if you don't like the film? Exactly. I guess that's why they threw random stuff in there. That's right. That's right. All right. Last question. Number four, instead of relying on directors from their show, Monty Python's Flying Circus, Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam shared directing duties. According to the Pythons, why were those two selected to direct? A, the two Terrys had previous experience before they joined the Pythons. B, the group was afraid the two didn't feel like they had enough to do on screen. C, the group actually shared directing duties, but they got the credit due to union guidelines. Or D, they were the only ones who wanted the job. I feel like the last two are definitely Monty Python, like definitely would be reasons for them. So <laughs> I'm going to go with D, that none of them really wanted the job. Yep. The two of them were really the only ones who expressed any interest, so they got to direct. And Gilliam wishes he hadn't. That's the reason Jones uh, directed the future endeavors is Gilliam was very, he was used to his animation. He was used to being able to control his stuff, and he was very focused on technical aspects of filmmaking, whereas Jones was focused on the comedy. And that's what the rest of the Pythons wanted was to focus on the comedy. Uh, got a bonus question for you. What is the velocity of an unladen barn swallow? European or African? <laughs> All right, man. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? I'm going to promote our podcast. Me and my buddy have out of uh, Buena Vista University here in Iowa. It's called Football Unfocused. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And basically, it's just a fun podcast talking about American football. I should clarify that. And we just like to have fun with it, get a little off topic. And that's why it's called Unfocused. Now, how, how are you guys dealing with content since uh, football is being affected by the current uh, virus? Well, we had XFL stuff for a while. And then once everything got canceled, uh, we had to step back because we're back at home. So we don't have our equipment as well as we do. Like right now, I'm using my gaming console headset for a better mic. I'm just talking <laughs> to my computer. But... We've been able to, we took it off for a week. I think we had our spring break weeks were normally scheduled. And so that was two weeks that we knew we wouldn't be here. And then a third week, which was coronavirus. And we just got together and talked about free agency last week. Uh, all the trades and all the people getting signed in free agency. And then we didn't do one this week because we decided not enough to talk about. Because again, nothing going on. So next week, we're going to talk about the NFL draft, which starts April 23rd, goes to the 26th, um, which will be very exciting for football fans. And I know me and him definitely love it a lot to watch that. And we're trying to figure out if we can get some interviews on through our computers because we have to record it on here. So we're going to try to figure out if we can get somebody on the interview because we've been trying to do that for a while, but we'll see where we can go with it. All right, man. Well, good luck with that. And please stay healthy. Uh, sounds like that's a little easier to do in a small town, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I uh, hope good things for you, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I always love talking Holy Grail and you stay safe as well. 
So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, or maybe tell me a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Tal Nahes on Twitter, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, that's Have Not Seen This Podcast. And of course, you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode where we'll kill Tom Cruise again and again and again. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Austin West for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. <laughs> <laughs>